Welcome to the Growth Elevated Leadership Podcast with Julian Castelli. Each week, we talk with senior tech leaders to explore stories and insights about the challenges involved with growing technology companies. We hope that these stories can help you become a better leader and help you navigate your own growth journey. Hello. Today, we are going to talk with John Monroe on the podcast. John was the CEO of a company called Chargeback, which was a SaaS business in Utah that I had an opportunity to uh, be on the board and work with John on and, and be an investor with Next Coast Ventures. And uh, it was a, an incredible ride. And John is a tremendous leader. And I'm really excited to, to learn uh, and share what, what, what the learn, learnings that John has this morning with the group and, and to have the conversation. Welcome, John. Julian, thanks for having me. Uh, stoked to be here this morning. Yeah, I'm excited. We've we've been talking about, you know, having a debrief conversation on the the chargeback ride for quite some time now. It was a uh, really exciting ride with ups and downs, and and I, I'm sure you've got a lot of lessons from it. You did an incredible job, and that was a big win for the team at Chargeback and a, a big win for Utah. And I'm excited about exploring it with you. Uh, thanks so much for the kind words. It uh, doesn't always feel like uh, like all of that, but I know in the end, sometimes uh, it, it, it looks like that and you can uh, you can accept that a little bit more, right? Yeah, 100%. Well, let's, let's start by just framing uh, the journey. So uh, you joined Chargeback uh, in, in 2018, right? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and uh, tell, us, tell us a little bit about what Chargeback does. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, currency and, and trust in currency is absolutely fascinating. And, and so, um, you know, you think about the past hundred years, uh, credit cards came into uh, uh, significant use. Um, and one of the things that I think a lot of people miss in that process is that, um, uh, you know, the, the ability to dispute a transaction or to, to dispute something that's been charged on your credit card is one of the most essential pieces to that puzzle. Um, and so credit card companies uh, have gotten that right and have done a great job at uh, protecting the consumers. Because it provides you safety Absolutely. to transact with someone you don't know over the internet, across the world. Absolutely. But you have that, that, that feeling that if something goes wrong, you can, you can do what's called the chargeback, which is one of the, uh, the key assets of, of the company uh, that you ran was the name of chargeback. But that's a credit card dispute, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's the power right there, right? Your ability as a consumer just to, to feel that confidence that you can just submit this very easy dispute. They're going to give you your money back. You're protected. They're going to deal with that. Well, of course, most people don't understand that that makes an absolute disaster on the, on the retailer side, right? The retailer is guilty till proven innocent um, and just creates a, a kind of, uh, you know, really big challenge. Uh, what does that mean? Guilty to proven innocent? I, yeah. I the, the, the money from the consumer, the consumer is, uh, uh, assumed to be accurate, assumed to be the one who, who deserves the money back um, uh, right right out of the gate. So the, the retailer, whether they delivered the good or service or not, whether it's a fraudulent chargeback, whether um, somebody stole the, the package from the person's front step that has nothing to do with the retailer, um, they're guilty until proven innocent um, in that scenario. And so so it's, it's a, it's a da disaster. Um, overall, what do they have to do? So, so someone charged back, I, the money's out of my account. Now, what do, they, what, do I, what do I have to do as a retailer? 
Yeah, so I have to create this uh, document called Worry Resentment. And what that is, is, is effectively I go back and I provide a lot of evidence, um, uh, oftentimes uh, evidence uh, across the spectrum, right? From uh, customer service calls to order management systems, to CRMs, to um, uh, transaction uh, histories, to just a, just a bunch of different evidence. It's really difficult to uh, collect and correlate. And so at Chargeback, we built a SaaS platform that actually solved this issue. It, it, it integrated a bunch of those data sources, uh, made the process really automated, and um, I think even even created a, a streamlined process so much so that um, we were actually able to create a better communication channel upfront for the consumers. A huge percentage of chargebacks actually occur because the consumer doesn't recognize the transaction. Right. Um, and so uh, we actually were able to create some solutions that, that uh, uh, prevented a bunch of chargebacks from happening from the start. So it's a really, really cool process and, and great solution. Okay. So your customer is someone who is selling typically online, but maybe doesn't have to be. And and this is the, the departments of the, the finance group or the operations group that's dealing with these chargebacks. And you're, you basically have created a TurboTax type of tool that allows them to, to process and, and, and respond in a, in a rapid manner. Is that a fair summary? Absolutely, yeah, it, it's an easy button and, and so much so that if they do it right and they have the right integrations that the easy button is, it actually prevents it in the first place. So they Which don't is, even have to. Of course, to. better for everybody. Absolutely, Yeah. better customer experience, uh, better uh, certainly for cost savings for the uh, retailers uh, for, for less um, product that they don't uh, get mm -hmm. compensated for. Okay, so so you joined the company in 2018, and uh, you you were there from 2018 to 2021. Like, describe the journey in terms of just size of company. You know, where where was the company from an ARR or revenue standpoint when you joined, and and where was it when you guys exited? Yeah, yeah, um, a fascinating place. So so to set the stage, the company was going through a uh, conversion from really an analog company or a services company uh, to a SaaS. Um, uh, SaaS first model. Um, they had made great strides in, in kind of getting to that point, but the, the software hadn't kept up. So in 2018, when I joined, um, there was incredible demand for the solution and, and certainly a software solution that would that would solve these problems. Um, and uh, our, our ability to actually supply those was, was pretty challenged. So uh, we were less than a million dollars in ARR, um, and that actually included some really cool, great um, promises from, from some uh, world-renowned retailers who put a lot of trust in the organization and the, the vision that had been and had been sold to them. Um, and we had about uh, 28 employees, I believe, at that time uh, when, I, when I came in and, and jumped on board. Okay. And then, uh, you know, just to set the, the, the end stage, you, you guys exited in 2021. Talk a little bit about, about that. Yeah, late 2021, um, we're able to exit to an incredible partner um, uh, called SIFT. Uh, so uh, Chargeback is still a, a very thriving and, and critical piece of kind of the, the digital ecosystem for uh, fraud and dispute management, as well as to, uh, I, I love one of um, SIFT's key uh, phrases is to help everyone uh, trust the internet, uh, right? Mm -hmm. To create an environment where consumers can trust it, real retailers can, can trust it, and you have just a, a, a really positive ecosystem. Um, and so we were able to, to exit to SIFT, who was a partner uh, previously, and, and we were creating some really cool solutions together before uh, they decided to, to bring us internal. Um, and at that time, I, I believe we were uh, 8 million uh, ARR um, and had about uh, 75 employees. So it was a pretty, pretty quick swing and, and um, sure. you know, lots, lots of growth during that time. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great growth journey, obviously a great outcome for the team. And I have to share, you know, this is a company that I think I shared with you. I, I had seen 
eight or 10 years earlier through the Park City Angels. And I knew it was an interesting idea all the way back then because I was in the travel space and we were one of those retailers that really struggled with chargebacks in the travel space. It's one of the largest categories. And so I was well aware of this problem and I was well aware of this company. And, and I remember when I got involved, which is, I think was like maybe a year or so before you, mm -hmm. I was like, man, these guys are still around. And one of the things that I learned was they had gone through five or six different CEOs before we found you. So, so uh, you know, not only did you help grow the revenue and, and engineer an exit, but, but you managed to succeed where a lot of people hadn't. Um, what, you know, what, 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 what do you have to say about that? What do you think uh, the secret was there? <laughs> well, uh, I think uh, hopefully we can dig in a little bit further in the in the podcast and some of the lessons learned from that. But yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, you know, I think from the perspective of uh, feeling like people that had come before me were phenomenal CEOs, uh, talented individuals, amazing folks. Why could they not solve it and, and I would be able to? Um, I can say that that was a consistent theme that ran through my mind, uh, at least on a weekly, monthly, sometimes hourly and uh, uh, hourly basis as I was operating the organization. Um, but it really drove me to, to uh, create an environment where um, you know, the, the, the option of failure was, well, I guess I'll just be put in this pile of, of five or six other folks that, that couldn't quite make it happen. And failure is a little intimidating, I, I would think, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I want to be clear, failure is a relative term. I think failure is not necessarily as negative as the people say it. Um, it's just not the outcome that we achieved. Right. Yeah. So, um, well, it wasn't an easy challenge <laughs> to go from a service business, uh, to, to a software business is not easy. I mean, I think that, what I recall is that you had validated the problem, you had validated the customer need through the services. And, and quite often SaaS becomes, you know, it's often services in a spreadsheet that, that forms the inspiration for SaaS, but making that transition is quite challenging. So, Absolutely. You know, what, you know I, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. What, what are some of the things you're most proud of? What would you like to talk about that, you know, you, you felt was, was critical to making that journey of Transfer, transforming into a SaaS business and, and, and getting that, that traction and growth and ultimately the exit. What are some of the best uh, uh, learnings from that, that experience? Absolutely. Uh, maybe I'll reflect a little bit on the organization. You know, as an organization, our, our really biggest accomplishments, um, one of the things I'm most proud of of the team was they really embraced um, the, the trust in new leadership coming into the organization. You know, it had been a, uh, an organization where there had been, obviously, as you mentioned, five or six CEOs. There were employees that had been through nearly every one of those CEOs there from wow. the beginning. So we had folks on the team that we retained that were with us. The, the gross majority of them were with us till the end um, that had gone through those processes. So their ability to actually step in and say, oh, new CEO. Great. I'll trust this guy. Like I uh, well, did. Were they a little skeptical? Did you, did you see, have to overcome <laughs> yeah. that, 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 oh, to, here we go again? To say the least. And so I had to overcome that, but, but even more miraculous they did, right? Yeah. They were able to actually step in and truly give their hearts and souls to this effort and truly trust that we were moving in the right direction. So, um, you know, rather than trusting that they would be put last that they had uh, in, in some prior instances, uh, we put them first, right? And and so uh, we really stepped in, and and so their ability to step in and um, really jump onto the onto the ride, uh, we would not have been able to have the outcome that we did if if that weren't for that case. So that's one of the things. How, how did you bring them on board? I, I I have to imagine there'd be a lot of skepticism with that kind of track record, and you know people people starting to worry about the future. How, how did you turn that around and, and build the culture that you're describing now? Man, that's a great question. So so one of the things that I think. Um, 
always kind of stood out to me about the organization was um, the, the a lot of the employees, especially historic ones, even founders, right? The founders who had been there for, since the SaaS uh, conversion, um, you know, they had a scenario where they really could have had every reason not to trust folks. So we had to come in initially with protection, right? Literally one of our core values was respect. Often you have to have a core value that should be just a baseline for every single organization, be something as strong as respect. We had to actually have that in there as a result of making sure that everybody recognized that they would be protected, they would be uh, respected, their opinions, uh, the, the way that they showed up every day, whether that was good, bad or ugly for a while um, was respected. And so I think that was one of the biggest things that we did is we I really led with vulnerability. Um, and I will say significantly that I overshared uh, most of the time that I was uh, leading the organization, I have actually overshared whether that would be our financials, whether that would be our fundraise challenges when we were successful or or fell flat on our face with some of our fundraises. Um, so, uh, you know, seeing that vulnerability and, and creating that environment where people expected that transparency, I think is is really kind of that magic bullet. Uh, there is never a magic bullet, of course, but it, it's as close as you're going to get to a magic bullet to um, trust to creating an environment where people feel like, well, it's all out on the table. I feel like he couldn't possibly share more uh, and, the, and the team couldn't possibly be more transparent. And I think that really set the stage for them recognizing, look, this is not great. This is where we are. This is where we're going to. We hope that you'll be part of the journey. We have faith that we're going to make it through the journey. And, and we were obviously successful in doing that. Um, but but it was not a pretty picture. And so uh, that that team's ability to kind of look at that picture and, and recognize uh, maybe outside of my naturally positive uh, uh, demeanor uh, that uh, that we were going to be able to get there, I, I think was a pretty, um, uh, pretty big uh, reason for that success. And what did that look like? What was your cadence of communication? What, what did you do differently from how the organization was communicating in the past? Great question. Yeah. So uh, I think tactically, um, we really dug into um, how do we make sure that that um, I mentioned the trust dynamic, right? One of the easiest things tactically to do when you're we're trying to build trust is be consistent. Mm -hmm. So we just had to be extremely consistent with the cadence uh, of of when we communicated. So uh, as simply as we had monthly all hands meetings, the mm -hmm. entire organization. Now was that something that was happening before, or was that new for the organization? There were parts of that and they had some some pieces of that, but it didn't look like uh, it was certainly wasn't consistent. It was uh, canceled all the time. Uh, there were there were lots of things that I think uh, were allowed to get in the way. Some very valid reasons as you're a startup and you're you're mm -hmm. scratching for the surface. Right. So it's it's no um, it's not a judgment on what was happening before. But but for this stage in the organization, they needed stability. Uh, they needed, um, you, you know, the. Uh, expectations to be uh, aligned with uh, kind of the outcomes that they were seeing. And so um, uh, once a month we had those, we had, of course, uh, weekly standups per team. Some of the teams had daily standups. Um, and we really just were really consistent with ensuring that um, our message was consistent. Um, the things that we said that we would communicate about, we did, whether good or bad, um, and that we really kind of um, continued in that process. And I think that the all hands, the way that we structured those might have been a um, uh, a leg forward or a, a you know an easy button for us internally to um, create more of that trust than than, than we might have uh, been able to create otherwise okay so you come in there's some skepticism you uh, you lead with some vulnerability you're 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 
you're establishing two-way respect through that. I think you're also being very open, sharing some of the good, bad, and ugly. Um, what, what were some of the, the key cogs that, that caught and, and you start gaining traction? What were some of the things where you've, you started feeling, okay, now we're starting to, to move in the right direction? I love that question. Um, so I think um, some of the things that, that really drove that growth, um, we found some traction in a couple of key industries. Um, so we had um, the uh, CEO prior to me was an incredible visionary. Um, and, and created a vision with uh, customers, um, uh, created a, a vision even internally with a, a lot of the folks in the organization um, that was really what the solution should look like and, right. and, and, and where it really needed to be. Well, of course, as, as we know, as we execute and from an engineering standpoint, uh, it's, it's often much harder to build what you want to build uh, than, than what you can build, right? Um, and so uh, there was a lot of um, protection that had to occur from... Um, taking the, the promises that had been given to uh, some of these incredible uh, uh, national brands that everybody knows, you know, largest stew company in the world, uh, Dick's Sporting Goods, some of the, the largest um, aviation providers, travel, et cetera. Um, and we actually had to, to step through that process of saying, hey, um, uh, client XYZ, we know that you were promised this. Uh, this is what we can deliver today. And this is what we're promising to be able to deliver to you uh, a year from now. And they'd kind of raise their hands and say, wait, what about all this other stuff, right? Uh, and so we had to go through a lot of really, really difficult conversations um, and, and say a lot of no's um, in order to put the organization in a place where they could feel enough stability to actually execute and deliver some incredible solutions out to the market, right? So we were kind of 80% of the way on a, on a bunch of solutions um, and, and things that we had built uh, for the customers, but, but very little that was really to that uh, 90%, 95%, wherever a, wherever a startup uh, naturally should be. Certainly it's not 100% uh, yeah. perfect. Um, but Almost uh, never is, I think. Yeah, but much closer to um, a solution that is um, uh, a little bit more stable and comprehensive and, and has the ability to actually deliver on uh, the promises that are made. And so um, that actually was a, was a major milestone for us, being able to um, be in that scenario where the employees felt protected, like they were not going to continue to be mentally, physically, and, and uh, emotionally exhausted in the process. They still worked hard and we really, really drove forward, but, but um, kind of protected uh, that first and that ended up leading to Would you describe that as kind of reducing scope and focusing on some key areas to get key wins? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think um, I call it now the no's, right? Knowing knowing when to say no. Yep. And, um, you know, I think for any organization, especially a, a growing one, I, I, I remember listening to a podcast um, uh, right in the middle of this battle uh, where we were trying to figure out our way. We were trying to figure out what to mm -hmm. do, what we could focus on, what we couldn't. And and they were talking about product like growth and they said uh, simplicity is is uh, really the the kind of key to winning, and I and I wish you remember the podcast, or I could listen to it, to it again. Yeah. But the, the timing was perfect for me at that time. You know, we as an organization, especially as a leadership team, were really struggling with what do we do, where do we go? Look at all these incredible opportunities. You know, we'd see these massive, for example, aviation was a great example, uh, massive opportunities in aviation um, with some of the biggest names, and um, you know, all we had to do was build a couple of things. Well, we, we had an amazing engineering team who was able to scope the, what build a couple of things actually right. means. Um, and it was, it became very clear to us that 
you know, that was the future. That was where we needed to go. That was where uh, the organization should be able to uh, uh, deliver uh, in, in a perfect world, but we weren't going to be able to get there uh, fast enough. And certainly what we were going to do is not serve the rest of our balance of our customers as we got there. So we had to say no. If you, if you, if you reached for that, that new solution for the aviation customer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah and then we, we get caught between two and you don't absolutely. serve anybody, right? And, and really in our case, it was caught between six or seven. Uh, okay. And so we, we whiteboarded it out, um, you know, six or seven core solutions and in industries that we were focused on and, and, um, supporting. Um, and I think in that, uh, in, in that endeavor or that dynamic, um, you know, we found ourselves, um, I, I think recognizing, uh, at the end of a, a couple key meetings that I still vividly remember that, and we have to say no. And then it was, you know, the yeah, that's, that's so scary, right? Because you did everything you probably pay, taken months, quarters, years to get that meeting. And now they finally are there asking for the, for the order. Man, how do you how do you get the courage to say no at that point, right? Because that's that's got to be so psychologically difficult. Yeah, almost impossible, especially as you're struggling with imposter syndrome as a as a CEO, uh, being in a chair that uh, five or six CEOs had, had been in before. Really difficult, really challenging. Mm -hmm. But it ended up being, I, I in retrospect, absolutely the right answer. There's just no question in my mind that we would have taken on some of those challenges because you wouldn't have succeeded. Right. And, and you would have stretched yourself too, too thinly. Obviously, we're dealing with limited funding, limited resources, limited opportunities. Were you able to serve those large customers with your limited offering? Were they, did they stay with you? Some of them, absolutely. Yeah. Some of them we were able to serve. Um, others of them, we, we uh, put more on a shelf and said, hey, we're excited to have this conversation in two years, but, but today is not the right day. Right. right. Um, and fascinatingly enough, we, we kept good uh, relationships and, and some of them uh, kept kind of knocking on the door and saying, okay, are you ready? Are you ready? Yeah, are you ready? No, of course. Okay, are you ready? They, which, which really was validation. The vision. You have to, you, and that's the, at the startup stage, you do have to talk about the vision, obviously. But but you can't you can't spread your your resources too thin across the front line where they can't get anything done right, and so having a vision is important. But if they if they were happy with the the basic product or the the product you decided that your team could build, that I assume that was able to serve the majority of your customer needs. Uh, it was, and and we certainly um, it, don't get the wrong impression. We we. Um innovated on that platform significantly over that uh, two and a half year period. So, so we added a, a bunch of new solutions. We um, incorporated um, some big things as well as doing a full rewrite of what was a, a pretty monolithic solution. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was part of the process that, that, that required the no's and the pauses is we actually had a couple of months where we said, we can't take on any new customers. Which, as a growing startup, you're like, wait, I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah, right. How do you deal with that? No way. And, yeah. and so I can tell you, those were that board meeting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that you were part of it. So yeah, not fun, not fun. Yeah, that's impressive. So, all right, that that's that's a hard lesson to to learn. But but it sounds like you're happy that you you, you had the courage to take that one and 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 really focus on what you could achieve with confidence, give your team the, the ability to win, give your customers something that you had confidence to deliver. And and that kind of, I assume, would build on itself where you'd, you'd get some wins and you start getting, you know, in, I'm a football coach, as you know, so I say, it's getting that first first down, Absolutely. right? And I, I remember you and I talking about, let's get a couple first downs. Let's let us let's get let's get in the red zone. Let's get some field goals. Let's get some touchdowns. But we don't, we, you can't go straight to the Super Bowl is kind of the, the analogy I think you and I were using at the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. Well, what what are what are the lessons? If you look back now, I, I know that when you're in the fire, you're super 
taxed from all directions and, and, and you're making the best decisions you can. But often it's, it's a year or two later when you look back, you say, oh, you know what? If I, if I had a chance to visit my, my earlier self, here's another lesson I might have uh, shared with myself. Any, anything, any ideas like that? Yeah, I, I think there's two core things that, that really uh, come up to me, uh, you know, that I find myself kind of uh, coming up against um, uh, continually now as I, as I think back on that process and, and certainly other uh, organizations that I led historically. Um, and that is this, um, it kind of relates around the imposter syndrome as well as uh, trust your instincts, right? Um, I, you know, on, on many of the personality and, uh, assessments, um, one of the things that pops up um, is that uh, one of my core personality traits is a pleaser, right? So mm -hmm. that works very well when you're thinking about customers, very well when you're thinking about are you right. willing to put in that extra time, energy, and effort to be successful. And I will argue that grit um, and and what that drives uh, as uh, as a result of, of that pleasing mentality um, has... Um, been definitely a significant contributor to some of my past successes and my past organization successes. And you were in customer success and customer service, you know, through your career, Absolutely. right? So you, you applied that skill to, to the natural, natural areas and that was part of your leadership journey, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so thinking a little bit deeper as you apply that to leadership, um, that's a really, really slippery slope, right? Um, especially as you're leading, you know, hundred, 200 um, employees, not everybody's going to be happy all the time. And in fact, Sometimes the exact thing that they need does not make them happy, right? It's like mm -hmm. you think about your children or, or your football uh, players and, and how you're trying to coach them, right? They want this immediate outcome. They want to, uh, what makes them feel good right then. But you recognize that truly to actually provide them with what they need in order to move forward, it's the painful stuff. It's something that, that might even be as much as weightlifting. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> weightlifting, absolutely. But it might be something as much as, you got to get out of here. This is not the space for you, yeah. right? This is not, this team is not where you belong. Um, you're going to add a lot of value somewhere else, but it's not here. Right. And so mm -hmm. well, there's a lot of challenges that come along those lines. And so I think if you, if you apply that to the leadership journey and really look to trusting your instincts, trust your instincts early, especially about employees, don't feel the um, sunk cost fallacy as, as strongly as it, as it can kind of overtake or overcome you uh, and allow yourself to be in a position in a situation where um, you give yourself the opportunity to reassess and allow that to be okay. Yes, this was my decision. Here's where we were. We're no longer there. Uh, things have changed, even if they haven't materially, even if you just made a, a bad decision, really, really, you know, finding those um, uh, mentors and, and superiors, board members, subordinates, et cetera, that give you feedback in order to keep you sharp well, it can help you give courage to those convictions, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Because that's, I think that what I hear you saying is you, you kind of hear it inside, but you're a little, you know, they're hard decisions emotionally. And so to trust your instincts, it's, 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 it's great to have some, some mentors, some coaches, some board members who can, who you can bounce these ideas off of, right? Because it's, it's not something they're going to talk to their peers about. Absolutely. And, and remembering that the, you know, the CEO role is the loneliest seat in the world, right? Uh, you can't necessarily Absolutely. talk to, to your board about everything, despite having phenomenal board members like uh, Julian and some of the other incredible board members that I was lucky to have. Um, you, you can't necessarily talk to your spouse, certainly can't can't talk to all your executives because uh, some of them uh, right. are, are outside of that. So really finding those um, people that you can uh, connect with and, and, and uh, whether it's a YPO or, or some other um, you know, professional organization like that, you got to find it and you got to dig in and be vulnerable. Absolutely. Now that makes, makes a ton of sense. 
So let's let's quickly talk about the exit. Uh, you mentioned that this SIFT uh, was someone you had partnered with before. I see that a lot. Uh, you know, were there any things that you did that you look back and say hey, that was really fortunate that we accelerated this partnership or you, you created some relationships or your team members created some relationships? Any lessons in terms of, uh, you know, what worked well for, for you guys in this case that you bring forward to your future opportunities? Yeah, I, I think there's, you know, one of the, the startup scenarios that's that's just so common to have a uh, conversation around is, is do we license this thing? Uh, do we keep it internal? Do we protect all the assets so we can use it however we want to in the future? And and there's so many lessons learned, uh, even even just in the the uh, Utah ecosystem of um, you know people who licensed too early or, or brought on key partners too early and gave them too much of of the organization and and vice versa, right? So uh, I think that that's a um, you know a, a big piece of the process and a big part of um, what you. Um, Kind of have to navigate through uh, for us we knew that a couple of key partnerships were going to be the way that we were likely to um, find an outcome for the organization um, it was clear to us as we talked to customers that we needed to be part and even explicitly clear where, where a customer i remember vividly one of the customers i was going to visit in my first couple of months huge customer very loyal uh were, were really helpful in, in growing us they said hey you need to be a tab in this other system. I was like, I'm sorry, what? Right, right. I said, you got to be a tab in these other guys, or they can be a tab in you. One of the two, one of you has to buy each other. But they don't want to buy multiple point solutions. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and so recognizing that right out of the gate and that we couldn't actually build ourselves into um, being robust enough to handle all the solutions, we knew it was going to be a partnership. We knew it was going to be strategic acquire that that, that kind of took us out. And so um, it ended up being so um, one of the ones that uh, we had looked at and that we were most excited about just kind of never got uh, excited about us for probably almost a year that we courted them and said, hey, strategic partnership makes sense. Let's let's figure out how to partner together. We kept it really simple, kind of, you know, baby steps. And um, and finally, one day they said, oh, yeah, that makes sense. OK, let's let's dig in. Um, mm -hmm. Well, unbeknownst to us, that was because they had already made the decision they were going to buy us. Um, and then they wanted to just kind of, you know, vet the process and, and go through that slow roll. But, um, you know, really six months, a year into that, that was during the uh, really, really core time of COVID when we were trying Those are the dark days of COVID. Really, I mean, really dark days. Getting a transaction completed during during the, the isolation days of COVID was, we could do a whole podcast probably just on that. <laughs> we could, <laughs> we could. Though I'm not sure my heart can uh, uh, handle that again. Uh, might go into cardiac arrest, but but uh, <laughs> but with that said, yeah. So so they had identified um, us, but we we definitely were the were the ones who kept um, driving and pushed the relationship. It ended up being a very uh, cool strategic relationship for about six months until they uh, they got really serious about the conversation and and kind of brought us in. So it was about a, a year cradle to grave from uh, initial uh, agreement that we um, started really truly partnering with them and, and when they acquired us. Yeah, that's that, that happens so often, and, and I think you know managing that well to to get to an outcome or a great partnership is such a critical skill. And I know we weren't staffed up; we didn't have a partnership department or you know all that. So I, that was a lot of you and the executive team driving that. Right. So kudos to you for that. Thank you. Um, well, that's great, John. There's a lot of great lessons here. You know, congratulations on that that successful journey. Tell us a little bit a bit about what you're doing now. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, so I've had the opportunity to raise what's called a search fund. Um, I, it's kind of a, a new, unique vehicle. Um, I call it a uh, little bit the the middle ground between VC and PE. So if you haven't looked mm-hmm. at the search funds, fascinating. Don't everybody go and search until I've acquired my company. But um, I have some <laughs> incredible um, investors, including uh, Next Coast, um, who supported mm-hmm. us with Chargeback, who um, have invested me to go out and, and acquire a, a business that I intend to personally operate. So very different than than private equity. And um, I will um, actually step in day to day, interact, be part of the organization. So organization who's ready to grow to the next step that has really kind of right. hit that infancy of a few million in ARR and, and now wants to go on, but maybe is in a little bit smaller TAM or, um, you know, a market where growth has been a little bit um, more uh, controlled, we'll say. Mm-hmm. Or has a little bit different, uh, more difficult buying cycle and or uh, succession planning, right? Great historic organizations yeah, right. um, that don't necessarily have succession in services and software and um, things across the board like that um, are, are really the the key targets. And so I'm excited. I'm, I'm really lucky. I have some incredible um, founders and, and uh, business owners who have entrusted me to kind of go through the process and and to to court uh, the opportunity to acquire them. Unfortunately, uh, to date, um, I don't have that um, uh, that transaction completed, but uh, I have some- Well, that's why it's called the search process, right? <laughs> it is, it is. But an incredible hey, uh, process. For the, for, for the listener, like, how long is a typical search process? Yeah, so um, uh, Stanford would say that it's uh, 18 months on average to acquire a business in the search process. But, but typically, searchers go into it understanding that there's a, a pretty regular 24-month uh, search cycle. Um, uh, you, you want to, of course, acquire as quickly as you can in that process and, and get to operating. Most of the folks. But you want to find the right company, though. Yeah. Too. You, you've got to balance those two things. Absolutely. Right? And it, it's truly a balance. It's a, it's a struggle every day to recognize, you know, no company is perfect. So you have to recognize out of your uh, criteria, let's say it's 10 or 12 items that are in your criteria. One or two of those are going to be questionable at best um, when you when you dig into the org. Very few people get to uh, check the box on every one of their on criteria. Everything. Yeah. If it was, it would be already purchased, right? Yeah, or, or not for sale. Yeah. Or too expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, John, uh, I wish you the best of luck in that. And when you are, are on that journey, we'll have you back on to share share your lessons from the next journey. And, and we hope to see you at our Growth Elevated uh, Summit this winter. Excited for it. Uh, Julian, thanks so much for what you're building here and and uh, the lives and the, the CEO's lives that you're impacting. As you know, it's a, um, it's a it's a can be alone in the world. So uh, your efforts to make it less so um, are, are incredible. So uh, kudos to you. Hey, we're enjoying it. Thanks, John. Have a, have a great day today. Thank you for listening to the Growth Elevated Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please follow us and subscribe on your favorite podcast player? And we'd be grateful if you recommend it to a friend. If you'd like more resources on how to become a better leader in business, we invite you to visit us at growthelevated.com. We'll be back next week with more insight from another great tech leader. Thank you.